Good morning, everybody. We are continuing with our reading our sermons from the first letter of Peter today. We are finishing off chapter 3. So reading from verse 8 to the end of the chapter. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with evil, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping clear a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. May God be with those who suffer today. Those words of a prayer were the final words of the, Bishop, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, this week, on Thursday, on his Thought for the Day on Radio 4. The very day when Vladimir Putin launched an all-out invasion on Ukraine. And who can fail to have been moved 
by the stories coming out of that beautiful, beleaguered country. Suffering. Suffering of war. War. What is it good for? Let's say it again. But war is just a symbol of the suffering that we all encounter. Whether it's conflict, COVID, cancer or crime. Not to mention other illnesses, mental traumas, relationship breakdown, assault, neglect, bereavement of a misdemeanor. Michelle mentioned a few right at the start of our service. There are lots and lots of, of ways in which God's creation suffers. We all experience suffering to one degree or another, and rightly, we all try our best to avoid it. Whether physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, suffering is no stranger and no laughing matter. We've been visited, haven't we, over the last few days by some interesting characters, Dudley and Eunice, Franklin, and I understand Gladys is on her way. (laughs) Unwelcome, stormy visitors. But even if those literal storms have not caused us suffering, many have suffered as a result. And we all have storms of suffering of one kind or another in our life. And we do well to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's able to still the storms in our lives, just as he stilled the storms in Galilee. Matthew writes in chapter 8 of his gospel, Then he, Jesus, got into the boat And his disciples followed him and suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Everyone was amazed. And said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Yet if we're honest, sometimes our prayers are not answered instantly. We have that saviour with the power, with the ability, with the willingness to still the storms. But he doesn't always do it in the way that we would like or in our time scale. Many... Most all people have wrestled with the problem of how can a good God allow suffering. And I can't answer that this morning. (laughs) I wish I could. But there's lots of places where we can investigate fully. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot um, that resonates with me, a, a fascinating Christian exploration of this question in his classic entitled The Problem of Pain. I thoroughly recommend that, but among, in among all the arguments and uh, the, the, the selections, that the, the ideas that he puts forward, the quote that st- stood out to me for today is where Lewis says, where pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than much knowledge. 
a little human sympathy, more than much courage, and the least tincture of the love of God, more than all. If you can see that up there, perhaps I had to read it a few times. But the, it's the love of God that changes things. Through the cross, God the Father knows what it is to watch a son suffer and die. And that son does the Father's will at all times. It all comes back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes everything. It's a joke, isn't it, that whatever you ask a children a question, they put their hand out in church and they'll answer Jesus. Nine times out of ten, they'll be right. And even if they're wrong, you can't tell them off. <laughs> but it's true. Jesus is the answer. Now what's the question? Lewis, again, said Jesus was either mad, bad or God, lunatic, liar or Lord, deluded, demonic, or divine. You've got to make your choice. I love that sort of quote where he says, don't have any of this rubbish about being, Jesus being a good moral teacher. He doesn't leave that option open to us. He doesn't intend to. It's about Jesus. He is the, our model, our example, and he suffered. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We look to the cross because in the cross... The suffering is inexplicable. We can't understand it. We can't comprehend the extent of Christ's suffering. Not just his physical sufferings, which we can get a glimpse of, but the fact that he took on himself the sins of the whole world. And Jesus' unique claims are either of supreme importance or of no importance. One thing they can't be is moderately important. Which is why it calls, there's, a, there's a need for a choice, a decision. And many of us here in this room, I know, have made that decision to follow Jesus. Sometimes there's a, a, a wrestling, a battle before we get there. But when we submit, some of these intellectual questions are not so important. The theoretical, the why. It's interesting, I know you did studies on the book of Job in the past and Ecclesiastes. They don't answer all the questions. They raise more questions than they answer very often. They don't answer the why, but it's what. What what will our response be? But as far as this whole thing, the logical, I I just wanted to read a little bit that I came across from Tim Keller. More recently, he himself is suffering from, from cancer and he talks about the two parts of, the, of our approach to the question of suffering. An intellectual and an emotional one. In regard to the intellectual question, Keller begins with the objection of, of one who states that because there's so much pointless evil in the world, God cannot exist. Well, that assumes that the, point, the, the suffering in the world is pointless. On what basis do we make that claim? Do we believe in our own analysis more than the revelation of God? And that's not just a clever semantics. That's, it has a practical application in our own lives. You will have suffered tragedies as the writer did. 
And none of us are grateful for the the troubles that come in our lives. But if we look back in our lives, often those points which where we grew spiritually or in other ways have been at those points of pressure. Maybe not at the time, but looking back, God does take and use even suffering for our good and for his glory. And secondly, Keller notes that suffering and evil may actually be an argument for God's existence because in a naturalistic worldview, the evolutionary mechanism of natural selection depends upon death, destruction, violence, survival of the fittest. They're perfectly natural, so why should we feel as though they're not? You know, that's where does the idea of justice and equality, fairness, right and wrong come from? It's the moral question but that's not for this morning and others more qualified than me would need to go into that but suffering is a fact of life and never mind living with covid living with suffering is a reality and will continue to be a reality until as we're reminded there is no more pain or suffering fear of dying in heaven The Bible does not shy away from this reality. At least 15 times, Peter in his little letter, the first little letter, refers to suffering and he uses eight different Greek words to do so because of this variety and this uh, scale of suffering. And yet his letter is is one of encouragement in the face of all sorts of trials and it serves as an assurance of success in face of suffering. There's a potent reminder in Simon Peter's life and in his letters that God specialises in transformations according to his power which is at work in us. It's this grace ingredient that transforms everything. And the word grace is, in, is used in every chapter of this short epistle. And this fact of the unmerited favour of God's good grace underpins the good and wonderful fact that we are saved by grace, saved, sanctified and sealed by the Lord himself. Grace is God's generous gift to his people, us undeserving sinners, needy saints. And it's through the grace of God that we can turn trials into triumph, success from suffering. So what are we going to do about it? Well, it's said we could, we could worry, spend our lives worrying, and we do a lot, I do a lot of that. But worrying is a bit like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do that gets you nowhere. <laughs> Hope in Christ isn't like that. Hope is more like a blood transfusion. More like that than a sedative. A shot in the arm invigorates us for action. Hope in Jesus is our anchor, but it should, so it stops us in the storms of life but don't push the analogy too far because hope doesn't hold us back like an anchor it moves us forwards in our lives and as long as God gives us breath in our bodies and life in our bones then we can live and learn and live for him And it's not so much suffering in general as suffering for Christ, which is at the heart of today's passage. 
Peter's preparing his readers for increased persecution by emphasising the spiritual dimension. And that's something that is good for us to do. Again, I love that verse from 2 Corinthians that you started off with, Michelle. And it's it's about, um, this is our light and momentary troubles. And it might not feel like that, but in the light of eternity it is. This too will pass, that David said. Peter, Peter's, um, where are we going? No, no, I wanted to go on to that funny little um, Bible thingy that we've got. I don't know if you can see it, if it's hide up there. It's a, some cards we, we were given, and it's from Walk Through the Bible. If you've not had them, they're really good. They do a, a, like a, a, a demonstration through, they do one through the Old Testament, one through the New Testament, where you come and they give you ideas, open up some of the, uh, the Bible to us, and they give us opportunities to, to learn. And some of these little doodles uh, to help us understand what the Bibles are. And that picture there uh, was about one, it's one Peter, where's it gone? I wouldn't matter. <laughs> you might have glimpsed it just now. It's my fault with the PowerPoints not uh, being too good. But there was a picture of a of a of a pea and a look at that. You got to use. You got to say there's a a pea, one pea tear, and it's pain causing pain with a purpose. With a purpose. So you've got to have a bit of a of a kiddie, uh <laughs> Uh, idea, but they tell me that mem- aids to memory very often work like that. I don't know if some of you got better memory than me, but people tell me that they can visualise random things, and it helps it stick in, and they can recall. And they're using that technique in all the books of the Bible. So, um, so when you think of one Peter, you're supposed to picture that, and then know that it's about pain with a purpose. Sorry, complicated way of saying that. There is purpose in our pain. Dignifying the trials is how my pastor refers to it, borrowing a favourite term of his old pastor, R.T. Kendall. We never get away from trials, but we can turn them into good by dignifying them. Well, here are three suggestions for getting the most out of our trials, dignify them. They're not rocket science, they're very simple But firstly, don't panic. Satan's immediate goal when he's given permission to attack us in one way or another is to get us to panic, to think, I'll never get through this. I can't cope with this. That's why the devil is compared to a roaring lion. That would startle you if you're faced with a roaring lion. But he's no match for the Lion of Judah. We're not to be intimidated. We're not to to fall in fear and panic. Let's take a breath, take time. But we are to face up to it. We're to face the challenge, whatever the suffering is. I don't go along with this idea of it's all, it's all in the mind, just avoid it, bury your head in the sand. The Bible doesn't call us to do that. We face up to it. We say, we name it for what it is. But we're to trust God. Oh, if only it was that simple. It, it is, in a way, because that's what it boils down to. We've got to trust him. Never forget 
that God is stronger than the devil and God allows the suffering. And he'll want us to focus on ourselves as far as personal, uh, personal persecution and suffering is concerned. This is what I'm looking at here. This has passed through God's filtering process. This, is, this trial is a compliment to you from God himself. The kind of trial he's allowed you to endure is very possibly one which could not have been coped with by others around you. God gave the, your trial to you because you're up to it. Never underestimate the Lord. I came across this in my daily reading notes this week, and it said, three reasons you need Jesus. One, you have a past. Two, you need a friend now. And three, he, know, he holds the future. That's why you need Jesus in, with you in your trials. You can turn away from him, or you can turn to him. You can turn your back and put up a, a, a wall against him. Or you can welcome him and throw yourselves on the mercy of God. You can't go back, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. You don't have to be held back by your past. You can be forgiven. You can turn away from your past. That's the good news. That you need a friend. Jesus knows about you. It was good that we had Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, some of those hymns that come to my mind. And I was thinking of what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. And another one about friendship. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love. And thus he bound me to him, and round my heart still closely twined, those ties which naught can sever, for I am his, and he is mine, forever and forever. You need a friend, and I know who holds the future, and he guides me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen, everything by him is planned. You see, we have a, a saviour who can deal with the past, who we can trust for the future, but it's with us now through these storms and trials of life. I just quickly want to go through these verses that I've been given today, packed with meaning and relevance, just selecting a few points, four in particular expressed as an a- acronym. I like, you know, I, like, uh, I like alliteration and I like acronyms because they help keep me a bit on track of um, we were talking about the benefits or otherwise of PowerPoint and the bane of my life, but they actually hopefully keep us a little bit on track before I look at the clock and say, oh, we haven't got past point one. But these four things, these four points spell the word hope. Because we have a living hope in Jesus, I believe we should express that hope through the first verse eight, living in harmony with one another. As believers, this is addressed to Christian people. As believers, um, two versions of the NIV, one came up on the screen that said, be like-minded. The one that was kindly read to us said, uh, live in harmony. So we'll stick with that one because otherwise it messes up my uh, uh, acronym. But it's true. Be like-minded. Be 
Live in harmony. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. See, so if you, it's been said that if you replace goodness with evil, uh, that's demonic. If you if you replace evil with evil, that's human. If you replace evil with good, that's heavenly. That's divine. Well, that's what we aspire to, isn't it? But some of us struggle. But within the body of Christ, we should not respond with cursing, but with blessing, even our enemies. As a church, we're body, we're family. We should live in harmony. It was that, that uh, old song, a bit, some would say cheesy, it's, uh, it was a Paul McCartney song with um, Stevie Wonder, wasn't it? Ebony and Ivory. Live together in perfect harmony, uh, side by side on the piano keyboard. Oh Lord, why don't we live like that? And it was a, a quite a powerful racial uh, equality message. But why can't we live together? In order to make music, we need to use everybody, whatever our background and whatever our differences. Live in harmony. Show obedience. And there are three specific ways that Peter mentions about showing obedience here. Um, About you must keep your tongue from evil. You must turn from evil. You must seek peace. Pursue it, Mr. Putin. There are ways in which we, in small ways, can do these things which we need to see on a global scale. And we need to watch our tongues. We need to be careful about our speech. And um, the tongue can do so much damage. We can really cause hurt with other people, with our words that we, that we use. I uh, had this book from Greg Groeschel, Dangerous Prayers, where he encourages us to, to really step out in our prayer life, not to play simple pray- prayers or vague prayers, but to pray dangerous prayer, prayers, by which, by which you mean those that, if God answered, would, would cost us something, would change our lives. And there's one section here where he's, he says, my dangerous prayer of dedication varies each day, but it generally goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I give you my whole day. Every part of me is yours. Take each part of the body you created and consecrate it for your purposes. I give you my mind, guard my thoughts. I give you my eyes, help me to look on things that are pure and honouring to you. Lord, guard my ears, protect me from listening to the lies of the devil. Set a guard over my mouth, this was the bit that I wanted to say. May every word I speak be pleasing to you, O God. Give me words to say, to lift and encourage others, pointing them to you. I know my words have the power to give life and take life. Empower me to speak life to all that I see. And then it it goes on and on about guarding my heart. um, But set a guard over my mouth. Keep my tongue from evil. Keep my lips from deceitful speech. 
obedience. It says in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, I think, obedience is better than sacrifice. And God does appreciate the sacrifices we make for him. And sometimes he calls us to a life of sacrifice. But it's far more important to be obedient to God, to be in relationship with him, out of a heart of love for him. To live out of a heart for love for him rather than just out of a sense of obligation. Harmony, obedience, preparedness. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it, it's being be prepared, really. Be in a state of readiness. All of you Cub Scouts will know, be prepared. When Baden-Powell, I think, whether it was uh, by accident, it was the BP. Uh, <laughs> we won't go down the old BP route. But we was asked, be prepared for what? And it was whatever. <laughs> be prepared for anything. And as believers, we're called to be prepared specifically in this Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within us. We're not all evangelists, are we? But as believers, we're all witnesses. And we're called here to give a reason for the hope that was within us. And often people will ask you at the most inopportune moments, but if we're prepared, do we know why our hope is in Jesus? And if we don't, let's, let's figure it out. As what? So that we can give an answer for the hope. And with the, the worries in the world and in general, yes, we, we are concerned as anyone else, but we have a hope. We have a living hope. A Christian's hope is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory over sin and death. Christ died for our sins, buried, raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the hope that sustains our persecuted brothers and sisters, says the Barnabas Fund in their prayer guide. When they meet on the Lord's Day, they're strengthened by remembering what Jesus has accomplished, even though they may fear attack or must meet in secret. If they're imprisoned or even in the midst of death and despair, there remains hope. So many endure suffering and hardship because he lives they can face tomorrow, and so can we. But we need to be prepared to share that hope in a hopeless world, to live in harmony, be obedient, be prepared, and exalt Christ Jesus. Exaltation, another clumsy word, but elevation, lifting Jesus up. And this portion of our scripture ends in a, in a glorious way. It talks about Jesus has gone into heaven and is sitting at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and all powers in submission to him. He is truly king of kings and lord of lords. Which brings me to some confusing words before we finish to do with baptism. Here it's related back to Noah and the flood. It's quite an unusual passage, this bit, and, and I talked with, to David Herring about this. He, he said he'd read that Martin Luther described those verses as the most 
some of the most complicated in the Bible. He'd never clue what they meant. And, I, and David said, well, thank, I've given you those words. <laughs> I, I said, thanks, but at least nobody can contradict me, can they? Because nobody knows exactly what it means. And I read in one of my uh, concordances, a NIV application commentary, Scott McKnight says that these controversial issues, never simply ignore them, but don't get hung up on them. Don't create theologies that provide no room for disagreement. If they're ambiguous, they're, there, it's, they're a bit confusing for a reason. Salvation, the point I take from it, is salvation is available and essential. We're saved from water, from judgment, by water, by the grace of God in Christ. After all, Peter says it's not the washing of dirt from the body, but repentance leading to the establishment of a relationship with God. You see, baptism by immersion is an outward expression of an inward reality. We come to Christ first. It's not the act of baptism that saves us, but the act of baptism is a, is a powerful symbol of our commitment to Christ. Going down, you know, if you're in a, in a baptistry, it's, it's almost like going down into a grave and rising again. It's being buried with Christ and raised again in newness of life. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already been baptised, if you're a believer, to talk to the leadership here about being baptised. It's a tremendous testimony to the grace of God in Jesus. And I myself was baptised in this church, well, Ackland Road, and I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, You'll know that my big brother, Paul, passed away just 10 days ago and thank you for praying for him through his his battle uh, over many months with cancer and I was thinking back to that day that Easter day in 1985 when he and I were both baptized at, uh, by, by David's uncle and by Doug Holt and we were committing our lives in our 20s to the Lord in baptism uh, maybe our, our beliefs change over the years, and I acknowledge that. But those points of commitment don't go unnoticed, don't go unseen. And maybe you should consider it. After all, Jesus has the final word over pain and death. Right at the end of his life, Jesus Christ, on the eve of his crucifixion, spoke to his disciples and said something very memorable. In this world, you will have trouble, but do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. Words of Archbishop Welby I mentioned at the beginning. He used those words as well. And then he went on to say, for for me, for him, and for many of faith, the great certainty in the world, the only certainty, is that we know that God does not change. Let us find our resolution, our peace, our certainty, not by screwing up our courage, but in the knowledge of the eternal arms that hold us. May God be with all those who suffer today. May God be with you. Amen.